This episode is brought to you by the Women's Network. Even if you are, you know, introverted or more shy, how can you authentically make those connections with people who you see offering you the path that you're looking for? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Redefining Ambition. I'm your host, Jamie Vinnick, founder and president of the Women's Network, the largest collegiate women's networking organization in the United States. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dina Womet, the head of innovation at Ben & Jerry's. Over the years, Ben & Jerry's has become known not just for their ice cream, but also for championing causes, including nature conservation and the environment, criminal justice reform, and same-sex marriage. In this episode, Dina shares what it's like to be part of the Ben & Jerry's creative process from celebrity collaborations to the ice cream flavor lab, how she exercises her creativity muscle beyond ice cream innovation and explains the importance she's placed on working for a company that, quote, stood for more than just the products. Hope you enjoy the episode, everyone, and make sure to follow us on Instagram at thewomens.network and at redefiningambition. Dina Wimet, welcome to Redefining Ambition. It's so exciting to have you on. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to speak with you, and I um, can't wait for the listeners to get to know you better and understand your background career, which is just incredible. So I actually want to start where you are today. You're the head of innovation at Ben & Jerry's. Yep. You are an expert in marketing. You also have uh, your toe stitch in a lot of other areas. I'm sure people are wondering, did you ever envision being where you are today? Did you ever envision working at a this brand uh, that is renowned and has all these great flavors and innovation, that, which is something that is so creative? Do you ever expect to be here today? I don't know, actually. I think, you know, I always uh, knew that I wanted to work for a company that stood for more than just the products. And I always, I think, knew that if I was going to do marketing, um, I wanted to um, love and believe in the brand that I was working with, not only as the person marketing it, but as a consumer. You know, I, I always wanted to sort of feel connection to to the products and, and the brands that I work with. Um, and so I did, I did envision that. I think to some level, I think if you had asked me, you know, 20 years ago, would you want to be the head of innovation for an ice cream company? I don't think I could have uh, picked that out of the list necessarily, but I think where I've, where I've ended up matches so much of my, my strengths and my skills, the things that I'm, I'm really good at. And, and it's a place I really, I really love being every day. I forgot where I read this, but somewhere that said one of the happiest places or areas of a career one can work in is ice cream. So I'm excited to talk about that. You are based in Vermont, but you did yes. not grow up there. Where did you grow up before heading off to University of Florida? Um, I'm from South Florida originally. So I was born and raised in uh, Florida. I'm from uh, Coral Springs, which is just outside sort of the Fort Lauderdale area and was there until I moved to Gainesville to go to UF. Okay. So you got to UF. Did you have an idea as to what you wanted to study or were you kind of all over the place? I went to UF thinking I was going to be a doctor. Um, I am not a doctor today. Uh, (laughs) I uh, was pre-med my freshman year and um, 
it was pretty good until second semester and things got a little tricky with chemistry. And I thought, oh, maybe this isn't the right fit for me. And so really focused in on psychology as a major um, and then tried again to be pre-med uh, my junior year of, uh, of college thinking maybe I just didn't have the right study skills. You know, I just was new to the whole college thing and I'll, I'll try again. And again, it just wasn't the right fit. And so I really settled into psychology, which was where I found myself loving the classes more anyway um, and, and ended my major there. A lot of people say that you should either double major with psych or you should not major at all with psych. It's too broad. What would you say to those people? There are so many people in the women's art, for example, who are studying psych. I know a lot of marketers specifically who are psych majors. So I find a lot of the people I work with, if they weren't business majors, um, are either psych or sociology. Um, and so I do think you can make a career if that's, you know, uh, what you like. I think I thought it initially that I wanted to be a psychologist. I don't think I understood um, at the time that you could be a psych major and go off and do different things uh, with the sort of foundation that you've built. Um, but there are definitely careers that you can pull from with psychology. It's so great to hear. Um, so you graduate. And you take your career in a marketing direction? Um, I graduated thinking I was going to get a doctorate. And I had applied into a psych program and started working at a startup technology company, just doing random stuff. I thought it was a summer job. Um, and I got really caught up in business. And I really loved the energy and sort of the the types of work that people were doing, the types of different groups of people and how they all connected. It was something I had never really seen before um, and decided at that point I wanted to go in, into business and, and get my MBA because I didn't have any, any background. I had never done any business classes. I didn't know accounting or any of those other like foundational um, things and went to business school, not really knowing even then what I, I really wanted to do. Just knew I wanted to be in business. Knew you wanted to be in business and you um, went off to Northeastern, you got your MBA. What are your thoughts today on getting your MBA? I love asking people because it, their thoughts vary. Yeah, I, uh, I'm very glad I did it. Um, I think for me, it definitely served in creating that foundation. Again, I didn't have any uh, business experience whatsoever. And so it, it gave me a bit more confidence. It gave me background knowledge to help me as I'm in, you know, in marketing, even now at Ben and Jerry's, you still need to understand um, overarching business principles and how a company works so you can make sound decisions. Um, and so I think it, it did give me that. At Northeastern, they also offer a six-month internship program. So I, I got into the working world and was really able to try something out. I tried finance and I did not like it. Um, and so had I not gone uh, to business school and, and had this internship, I also could have potentially you know, experimented in my career a bit more and found myself um, struggling to sort of find my way. So I, I do think it had value. Um, for me, I, I also chose an, uh, a university that offered scholarships. I worked for the college, so my tuition was paid. So I also was trying to make decisions so that it would have a return uh, on investment for mm -hmm. me, too. So you can make different choices about schools or programs based on what it is you're trying to get at the end of it. 
Well, that's great advice. You have been working at Ben and Jerry's pretty much ever since you graduated, which is not as common today. <laughs> no, it still surprises me to think I've been at one company for 15 years. It's like, it blows. I don't even feel like it was 15 years ago that I graduated from college. So just even thinking that I've been at um, a company this long is crazy. You know, I dabbled a bit right out of um, right out of business school and did some marketing research. And I worked for another um, company for a short period of time. And then we moved we moved to Vermont and I really haven't looked back since. So how did you find this opportunity? I mean, I'm sure you had, you were looking at a bunch of different options. How did you land there? And a huge deterrent for a lot of people in accepting jobs is placement, is the geography. I know that's not probably as prevalent given work from home today, but to go from Florida to the Northeast where Northeastern is located to Vermont is such a change. Yeah, it is a change, especially right now as I look at my window and there's like snow like everywhere. <laughs> it's going to be like this until like April. Um, so when I was at Northeastern, um, I met my now husband. He's from Vermont. Uh, and so we would visit. And it's, you know, a really, a really lovely state. Um, it is very open. There is a lot of uh, woods and mountains, outdoor sort of lifestyle is really strong here. The food culture is really great. And so I kind of, I kind of fell for the state. Um, and so we moved here first and foremost, and then I was lucky enough that Ben and Jerry's was hiring in marketing and that I was a fit for the role. So it just sort of happened. But I believe when you're a good person, you know, like the world works out, you sort of are able to find your way. Mm. So you began in marketing, you worked your up to become a brand manager, then you transitioned to the innovation yep. um, side of the business, and now you lead innovation at this notoriously innovative company. But before we get into the innovation, how, I mean, when people look at you and say, wow, you've been there for the majority of your career, it's yep. not common today um, to do something like that. That means that there were people there, there were opportunities there, and there was mentorship there that probably encouraged you to stay and also feel valued and yeah. feel like you found your, your place, your footing at this company. Why do you think, just in touching on a lot of those different areas and segments, why do you think that um, you've stayed there for so long and what were some of the contributing factors? One of the big things I love about Ben and Jerry's is the people I work with. And so what I find um, at the company, there are a lot of people who've been there the majority of their careers also. Um, so some of the people who built the imagery you see today or um, some of the early flavors that I personally fell in love with as a consumer are still there today. And so uh, folks that work at Ben & Jerry's have a huge heart for the company and the values and sort of progressing progressing the company and its its strategies. And so it's not, it's competitive, but not in a way that you're sort of, you know, at each other. And so in a very collaborative way, you're working to, to build and grow this company, which for me is very satisfying. And so it's it's people first and foremost. Um, if you don't like the people you work with, it makes it really hard uh, to go to work every day. 
Um, I still love the product as much today as I did uh, before I started. And so that is always nice. And then every day is different. You know, I think even though I've been in the same role for quite some time, um, the types of things I get to try, new processes I get to put in place or um, new insights that we're building, uh, you know, ideas around, those things keep it really interesting uh, for me. So I always have a chance to sort of grow and explore in my role. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about mentorship. There's, um, we've talked a lot about that on the podcast and there are multiple key differences between mentorship and sponsorship. You have spoken before on this difference and in your own experience, what role has mentorship played specifically at a company like that? And what is the difference in your opinion between mentorship and sponsorship? Let me start with the difference uh, first. And so um, mentorship, is where you might work with someone, they could be a peer, they could be somebody in a different position, they could be someone at a different company, and you're using this relationship to help you overcome maybe gaps that you're having or or struggling with or um, helping you um, brainstorm new strategies for implementing new things, helping you personally gain in your career and grow and explore. Um, Sponsorship is where you can provide visibility. So not only are you potentially learning and growing, but there's also this ability to gain visibility in an organization and then ultimately help someone grow. So growth through um, new opportunities, growth through promotion, growth through um, just grow through new projects, things like that. And so sponsorship is something I've been able to utilize more now in my role today because I have a position that gives me a lot of influence with our leadership team, it, you know, it, it's a position where I have the ability to delegate work and um, really make choices about um, how we work on things and what we work on. And so I've been able to help folks who've come to me, oftentimes women who are looking for growth. They've been doing the same thing for a while. They want to stretch a little bit, try something new. And so, you know, you give them projects and then can use those tools in meetings with, you know, my peers, other managers, or with, you know, the directors to elevate that person who may not be getting visibility on their own. So one is a way to really help someone truly be lifted, whereas mentorship is really about sort of growing internally and and becoming potentially better at what you do. Mm. So you have a really interesting opinion on networking. You do not like the term. You think it's it's inauthentic, it's disingenuous, it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Networking does play a role in sponsorship. You need to know people who can then advocate for you. Um, and I think those words are sometimes conflated, sponsorship, mentorship. But when we talk about sponsorship, sometimes it's often the loudest people, the most extroverted people at a company in a room, especially at the entry level who are making themselves known in an organization or place of work. How are you able to kind of work around that? Uh, And what advice would you offer to people who wouldn't really identify in the box of being super extroverted or loud and and putting themselves out there? Yeah, I I do struggle with with networking. I think it serves a purpose and it's important and I push myself uh, to do it when I can and when I can do it authentically for sure. I think 
it's, you know, an important way that you find a job, you know, sending in a resume into the black hole of an applicant, uh, you know, database is, is really not what gets you a job. It's networking um, and finding connections with people at that company, um, people you might know who know others. I mean, that's really how one can truly progress oftentimes in a career and, and get their goals. And so, while I don't love it, it's something I, I do try to do and push myself to do. And then it's about, and we talked about this, I think, in the interview I did with, with the other um, ladies at uh, UF was like, how do you find ways to do it, like you said, authentically? How do you do it in a way that, that you're comfortable with and also allows you to not feel sort of that like hard feeling about, about networking? And so it is a tension point. And so, um, yes, oftentimes the extrovert is the one that gets heard, you know, the squeaky wheel gets, gets all the things. And so it's about, even if you are, you know, introverted or more shy, how can you authentically make those connections with people who you see offering you the path that you're looking for? Um, and, and that sometimes is just a half hour meeting, you know, with someone in your organization, Informational interviews, I think, are amazing uh, ways to just learn something. So if you have friends or relatives, people you know that are doing interesting things or who may have interesting connections, asking for an informational interview with someone usually will get you at least a foot in the door to have a conversation. I think that it's about all of us also understanding there's different ways of working, different kinds of people. And so it's also on managers and directors and the people who are leaders to really understand you have to sometimes pull things out of people. And so that people aren't always going to be approaching you. Um, people aren't always going to be speaking loudly in meetings that if you're seeing folks that are maybe a little bit more quiet or not participating, how do you draw those folks out in a way that they're comfortable, but also still you know, elevated as well? No, I'm glad you touched on that. So I want to get to what it's like to work in innovation. Like most people, they're, they have creative blocks. They have periods of time where they don't feel like they're in a creative state that allows them to innovate or think of new ideas. So first of all, what is it like working in the innovation part of this very innovative company? What is, what is a day-to-day like and what do some of the responsibilities under your portfolio include? So in my, in my group, we're responsible for all of the new things. So flavors that are in a pint, things that are outside of ice cream, even like the dough chunks we now have. And so we are really looking at using products to convey either a message, like something about our social mission or convey a feeling or um, bring someone into Ben and Jerry's in a new occasion. And so uh, we're very in tune with marketing research, consumer insights. And so there's where that like psychology sort of element comes in. What are the things that are driving people? What are the ways that we can bring a little bit of joy um, or surprise and delight and then leveraging the product as a way to bringing that to life? And so in any given day, the folks on the team uh, are partnering with people in R&D, our flavor gurus, marketing insights and research finance, supply chain, engineering, the factory, we're, we're sort of working across all the different parts of the business to um, manage projects through. So coming up with ideas and then working them through a sort of 
a process of either research to see if it's a good idea or a bad idea or prototyping to see does it even taste delicious, which it almost always does, to can I make money? Do people want to buy it? What does that design look like on the front all the way to, you know, how do we, how do we make it in a factory and then put it on a shelf? So you're, you're sort of working through all different phases of projects in any given day. So starting with the flavor which I'm sure is one of the most exciting parts of the whole entire process. Do you, you enter a lab and, and I mean, how does that work? Do you, do you have this idea of how you want to brand an ice cream and then you go from there? Is there like a color piece of inspiration? We often will track trends. Um, We get tons of consumer um, and fan Um, suggestions. We're looking at all the things kind of going on in the world. And we'll often come up with different themes or sort of territories area once we want to play with. Um, And then we partner with the flavor gurus. And so they then do a ton of magic in the kitchen. Um, We call it the flavor lab, but it's really a kitchen space. Um, And they um, have ice cream makers and all of our chunks and swirls. And we get in new chunks and swirls. Um, Or sometimes they'll even cook stuff on the stove just to sort of play around with new things. Um, And then we try stuff. We try a lot of things. Uh, We do a lot of tastings. And then we'll build sort of together. How do we make this thing from great to awesome? Or or does it not taste exactly how we wanted? And and does it need a revision? Mm. For example, you are partnering with Chance the Rapper, which is just announced, which is awesome. I mean, Colbert, Fallon, they've all partnered with Ben and Jerry's. How did that partnership manifest? Was that under your belt? And if so, how did, were you the one who got the idea? We should be partnering with these late night. (laughs) They all come about differently. Um, Jimmy Fallon, for example, sang a song on his show for like two, three minutes one day about Ben and Jerry's and how much he loves it. And so we sent him some ice cream to thank him. And then he got on the phone with us and was like, hey, this was so great. And then we sort of created a relationship. And the next thing you know, we had a flavor planned with him. So sometimes they're really organic and just sort of fan love on both sides that that bring about uh, one of these partnerships. Sometimes we're looking uh, to either talk about our social mission or, or we have a flavor that's just a great fit uh, with a partner. Uh, and then we start sort of uh, working with it. It's my team. There's another group of folks uh, who work on the U.S. marketing team who work on these relationships. Um, and then we get to co-create flavors with them. So Chance, you know, he loves mint ice cream and he has like all these memories of, of growing up as a kid. And so, you know, we knew it had to be a mint ice cream and we got to create you know, a flavor with Chance, which is crazy. Again, if you had asked me 20 years ago, would I be uh, creating ice cream flavors for Jimmy Fallon and Chance the Rapper? I probably couldn't have even imagined that at all. (laughs) That is hilarious. What have fans and customers come and and have said about the brand's activism as well, which I want to talk about? You know, I think um, people people do love Ben and Jerry's. They talk about Ben and Jerry and they are real people. They are two amazing um, individuals, but they talk about Ben and Jerry and them. And it's like they're partners on Valentine's day. Someone will have a date with Ben and Jerry and it's, it's their pint of cookie dough, you know? So I think it's amazing how much people love ultimately what is just an ice cream product that you eat. And, and, you know, it could be, it could be nothing, but for, for folks, it really is something that they feel a true connection to. 
Um, and it's not something that we then take very lightly. You know, I think the fan, um, the fans trust and love for, for Ben and Jerry's is what propels us oftentimes in, in many of the decisions that we make. There are a lot of brands who have started to take activism and social action as a greater responsibility their portfolio. Ben and Jerry's has been so forward thinking in this area. And I'm wondering how you think that other brands are are thinking about this now and, and why this is so important, not just for individuals, but also brands to um, really align themselves with values and a mission and statements that they believe in. Yeah. So um, we, you know, we were founded in this space. So back in the 1980s, you know, we created our three-part mission and our progressive value statement. This was really, truly part of what drove Ben and Jerry in the creation and growth of the company. And, and Ben, you know, really, you know, he has a quote and it's, um, you know, businesses have a responsibility to give back to the community. And so that is truly at the heart of the company that I, you know, I get to work for every day. Um, and I think it took a while for, for businesses to sort of come on board um, because it does become an extra part of your organization. And, it doesn't always make business sense. So sometimes we'll make decisions that will cost more money. Um, You know, it's not about cheaper ingredients. It's about fair trade cocoa and cage-free eggs and things that may add costs to the business, but are the right things to do. And so making sure that you're making decisions that fit your values, that answer to that mission, doesn't always make logical business sense in a way. And so if you're not authentically there, I think companies often struggle with how then do they participate. Um, What's amazing now is consumers are, I think, requiring this of companies more and more. And so it's almost that understanding that you have the ability to vote with your dollar and decide which brands you want to see progress and and which brands you think need to step it up. Uh, And so businesses, I think, have started to understand that they do hold a ton of power as organizations, be that through the money they make, be that through the people they hire or the suppliers that they use. And I think it's amazing to see now people like you, people out there in the world, normal folks who have the ability to truly push companies to to make choices. It's not just fair trade, it's voting rights, LGBT rights, it's climate justice. And how is the brand really thinking about that. And a lot of people would say, you know, it's an ice cream brand. Where does voting rights fall in this? What would Ben and Jerry's and companies say to that? Yeah, we get that. We, We still today get, you're just an ice cream company. You know, why are you talking about some of these things? And so what we look at as a company is social mission on, on two levels. There's internal social mission. So that's the fair trade, the things that we put in our product, the climate impact that our uh, factories make or that our ice cream makes. Those are things that we really focus on in the normal like ice cream company type of way, the things that we, we control in terms of our business. And then social activism is the other pillar. And it's a big part of our social mission. It's part of how we've always operated. We've been to protest for as long as, again, Ben and Jerry's were kind of those hippie guys that understood that you can create change through protests, through um, petitions, and really leveraging decision makers who ultimately 
create policies and systems that can create hardships for others. And so things like LGBTQ really were linked to the people who worked for the company. You know, we had folks who work just like most companies have folks who are in varying communities. And so if you're not pushing policies forward that make their lives better, then you're not helping your, you know, the employees and the people who, who work uh, within your world. And so that that's really where that's rooted in. And then systemic racism and voting rights, those are all things that are, are affecting all of us today, even if we don't um, see it in our lives on a daily basis. It's affecting the choices we have as people because it affects the types of folks who can vote and then the policies that get created. And so I don't know. I know it, it doesn't feel like it belongs in the world of an ice cream company. But again, I think companies have a ton of power to try to make positive change. And so that's, and that's what we do. I agree with you. And I think it's so admirable of the people working there, of the brand itself. What is something now that you're heading innovation, what is something that you oversaw, whether that be a project, an initiative, a flavor that you're most proud of? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, I think the things that tend to take a lot of time um, that are really hard. I think those are things that when you look back and you're like, wow, that took three or four years and tons and tons of people. And we, we got there. Um, pint slices would be an example of that. Um, with an ice cream bar we had that took ton, a ton of time and work and influencing and strategy. And it was amazing when that got out the door. I also take a lot of pride in the things that, that fail and that we have, enough courage to stop working on. And so I'm always really proud when we are working on something and it it just isn't going to work. And we have enough courage as a team to say enough already, let's stop um, and, and move sort of our time and our energy forward on things that look like they have more promise. Because that sometimes is the hardest thing to do is to stop something that just isn't working. Yeah. What's an example of that? There was this project, um, a top secret project that had been going on in the company for seven years. I think by the time we finally stopped it, it had crossed over a couple different teams and it used a bunch of really cool technology to make an ice cream novelty. It was a really neat, really, really neat thing. And it tasted great. It had all these really wonderful things about it, but tons of challenges and it just wasn't the right uh, decision. And so we finally decided, and you see all the time that goes into something, you feel like you want to see it come to life and you want to see it launch. But we, we were able to decide in the end uh, to stop. And it was, it was the best choice because we could then do other things. And that's where pint slices then came from. We were able to create something even uh, greater in the end. No, I'm glad you shared that. I want to get to talking about vulnerability. This is something that um, we, we spoke about and you, a lot of people will look at you and say, you're the head of innovation of this incredible brand. You have a lot of power. I'm sure a lot of people look up to you. Um, and what comes with that too is an ability to advocate for others, to use your voice. The other side of that is that you also are a human being. There are challenges in your life. You've experienced failure, I'm sure. How are you able to manage expectations of leading this incredible team and department while also acknowledging that there are challenges, there are failures, not just in your professional capacity, but also your personal life that 
sometimes need to be addressed and in, in expressing vulnerability in a professional setting. I think that this is something that people don't always necessarily talk about and people see folks and, you know, um, you have to exude confidence, you know, always look like you sort of have it under control. And so when you look around uh, the room, you might think, oh, she's really got it all figured out and, and don't necessarily see what's, what's going on underneath. And I think what I think is interesting is in the last couple of years with COVID, more and more this discussion of mental health and burnout and balance, all the things now that are becoming more open and discussed, I think is such a positive place for, for people, uh, especially people who are you know in the working world. Um, because I think you get a chance to then be a little bit more open, a little bit more vulnerable with yourself, with the people around you. Um, and have a little bit more sort of openness to to what people go through on a daily basis. I was talking with um, my boss uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, I have 10 people who work for me, and half of them are going through a ton of crap right now. And he said, and that's the stuff I know about, which means the other half are probably also going through a ton of crap. I just don't know about it. And so having that, like just awareness level that the people around you are probably dealing with things that could be, like you said, personal, or it could be professional at any given moment in time. And then operating from that place of empathy so that you kind of give people a little bit of leeway when they maybe make a mistake or when they are struggling a bit, not to blame them or not to come up with um, an excuse for what could be happening, to give them a little bit of space. And so I love that there's more openness and people are are becoming a little bit more vulnerable, even in a, a working setting. I think being able to to tell someone, oh, I have felt that way too. Oh, I have felt really nervous before a blah, blah, blah event, or I struggle in my job to get creative um, sometimes. You then create a connection with someone who may be feeling the same way, who may realize, oh, this is normal. Like it's normal to come to work some days and not really feel like you're bringing your A game. You know, some days are just going to be tougher than others. And Having a bit more of an open dialogue around that then gives you the room to pull yourself out, you know, and um, the support you may need to come on, come to the other end of it, let's say, or to find your path forward. Hmm. Have, you, have you ever thought, I don't deserve to be here? Has that ever crossed your mind? Or are you someone who's never really encountered a lot of those feelings? Uh, like imposter syndrome. Um, syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I still don't realize I'm here sometimes, if that makes any sense. I don't think about where I am. I just think about what I do. And it's not until I sometimes will look back and be like, holy cow, like, look what I've accomplished that you realize what you are, who you are. I think I just go to work every day and just try to make a positive impact on the people around me, on the company, on our strategies. I don't really think so much necessarily about my title or my job or, or what sort of what that accomplishment means uh, necessarily. I definitely have had those times where I don't really know exactly what I'm doing necessarily. And I just, I just, I think I've always just approached it from the path of you've got to jump in um, with both feet and fake it a little bit, pull on the skills that you do have that make you capable, leverage people around you who may be experts in their area. And then eventually it kind of catches up with you. You realize, oh, I I do know what I'm doing. Oh, I do belong here kind of thing. What advice would you give someone who is trying to advocate for themselves, wants to highlight their skill sets, their accomplishments, but 
also has to walk the fine line of not being perceived as arrogant or egotistical? I think that's a tricky one. And I think depending on who you are and how you present yourself can then bring preconceived notions upon you. And so I think having a level of awareness about yourself, how you are perceived, knowing maybe what areas people may see as triggers and then figuring out how to work around them is one thing. I always feel like actions speak louder than words. And so instead of telling someone all the great things about you, do it, show them, act. If you're looking for ways to progress and get more responsibilities, offer to take on projects, offer to help. People are often overworked. And so uh, if you come in and say, I would like to help you in this, can I have a project? Can I take a part of it? Show them that you're capable and are willing to put in the work. Um, Show them what you're able to do versus just presenting sort of a bullet list of how amazing and um, awesome you are. Mm. People often like to come up with that on their own uh, versus being told. Mm. You mentioned earlier that sometimes you feel like you're not in a creative state or not in a, a position where you can contribute to an innovation of something and you work in innovation. Yeah. So how have you been able to explore other skills, not at Ben and Jerry's, but in other ways? I mean, there's been this huge wave of people entering something that's more entrepreneurial, of people exploring other passions and skills and learning new skills or tools or, or ways to express other forms of creativity. So when you are in a state where you feel like you can't innovate or aren't very creative, how have you been able to combat that? You know, I think of creativity as a muscle. There was a period where I did not think I was creative because I'm surrounded every day by such amazing people and designers and chefs and things. And so I I remember coming in to Ben and Jerry's at one point, not necessarily always seeing myself as the most creative person. And then you begin to realize creativity looks lots of different ways, right? So I may not be great at coming up with the names for our flavors, but I might be really great at being creative in, in other ways. And then once you understand that you have it inside of you, and all of us do, it's how do you strengthen that muscle? It's just like going to the gym, um, only you're doing it for your brain or how you think. A lot of times when I feel like I am like kind of out of steam or losing it a little, maybe I've been doing the same kind of project for too long and I need to like kickstart my creativity out, I will typically try to learn something new. And so that's part of also what makes me, me, I love to learn. I'm a curious type of person. And so I'll teach myself Photoshop, um, or I will learn how to do calligraphy, or I've done just lots of different things. They're not necessarily transferable to my job today. They just provide that extra little spark. And then once my brain is back up and running, you find that like the creativity then becomes a little bit more fluid and more natural. So I do self, a lot of self-learning. Skillshare is something I've always loved. That's an online platform. There just are so many resources now for people doing classes in your local area, a wine tasting class or a chocolate tasting class or a chef type of class, like just things that teach you something that you've never done before or just allow you to explore with something maybe you're a little more more unfamiliar with tends to be a way I find to spark creativity. Mm. You are a professor on the side in marketing. You have a coffee company you started with your husband. 
um, and you have other ongoing skills and, and various projects that you've been working on. So how did you get into all of that? Was it natural? Uh, it, I think um, it turns out I'm a, like a serial entrepreneur, uh, and so is my husband. So he and I met at business school. He's also a marketer, focused more on digital marketing than innovation. And we just think this way. And so when you put two people like that in a house, uh, you tend to find yourself creating companies or um, helping helping other companies create brands for themselves, um, things like that. So it's just, I think that that's also sometimes a nice way to, again, just create some energy for yourself are these little side hustles, side projects. I, I see them as, you know, sometimes funding your hobbies. You can sell things that you make because um, you often will have skills that other people don't, that they will find to be amazing. And so, yeah, we started a coffee company. I love coffee. I love to drink coffee. He likes to make coffee. And so it's really fun for me to work on a small business, a teeny tiny little local scrappy sort of crafted business when also working all day at a multi-million dollar brand. And so it just provides me also with a little bit of balance, getting to try new things like being a professor. It just provides some extra practice and learning and things I had never done before. I also love that you are advocating for not putting yourself in one box where you are only good at one thing. You can explore other areas of sure. interest and contribute in other ways other than just one segment, such as marketing. Yep, absolutely. Um, so I want to um, transition to our lightning round of questions. I will ask you a question. Let me know what comes to mind. So what is your favorite Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor? Hands down, milk and cookies. Love that flavor. Okay. What is a book you recommend people read? Book people read? I feel like that's a hard question. And I read a ton of different books. I'm currently stuck on anything young adult. I don't know why. They're really fast. So I would say... Uh, and this is probably not at all inspirational, but pick up an easy book to read, something that provides you with entertainment and levity and can help take your mind away sometimes from the world around you. Ooh, I like that. What is some for many things that keep you stimulated? Listening to podcasts, reading, what are some of the things? Exercise. I definitely uh, like podcasts. So I love um, how I built this with Guy Raz. I just love him. And then just so interesting to hear from other you know, business owners, entrepreneurs who often will find failure and have to pull their way out. And there's always just inspiration and good learning there. I definitely listen to a lot of music. I find when I'm just needing that extra push, I put on my headphones and will listen to music and use that as a way to sort of gain energy and inspiration. What is the best way you unwind or relax? I do yoga. I also um, paint. I do watercolor uh, painting. So I will find that as a way to just also, it's methodical. You create very quickly something from nothing and it's rewarding. You do so many things. I know. I'm multifaceted. <laughs> Truly. What is a mantra that you live by? I feel like if you ask me this 10 minutes from now, I will come up with something much more uh, clever. Um, but I, I really try to think about the positives in any situation. And so always working to change mindset is, is probably what I do and, and sort of remind myself when things are rough, how do you flip the situation so that it isn't negative, but provides something positive? I love that. 
you have been in the classroom, the other side of things, you've taught classes. Yep. So what is something that you've noticed of this generation that you think is either inspiring or something that you're, you're very hopeful for? I think this uh, generation is much more in tune with what's going on around them. I just think people have so much access to information now and knew what was going on, be it from a, from a campaign's perspective or a new product that had launched or an issue that was affecting the world around them. I just think folks just seem to be a lot more aware of the world than they were maybe when I was growing up. Mm. If you can leave our listeners with one lasting piece of advice, what would that be? I think my lasting piece of advice would be to sort of embrace the journey that you're on. And it was something that I didn't know right off the bat and struggled with a little bit coming out of college and not really knowing where I wanted to end up and what I wanted to do. And the journey is hard, right? It's it's painful sometimes, it's confusing. And just embrace it. It's part of it's part of life. It's part of the process. And so while you may not always know where you're headed, the path to getting there is part of it. And so finding ways to take pleasure or joy or sort of comfort in the discomfort is something I think I try again when it's hard even for myself, just remind myself the journey is part of it and I'm going to come out wherever it is I'm going to end up on the other end of it, either stronger or better for for what I've been through. Thanks so much for listening to an episode of Redefining Ambition. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, rate us, tell your friends, and if there's anyone you think we should have on our show, let me know. Join me next Tuesday for a brand new episode of Redefining Ambition. We'll see you all then. Take care, everyone.